Hello and welcome to another episode of the In Their 20s podcast, a web series where we have weekly interviews with influential people to give you the best advice in your 20s. Make sure you are hitting that follow button on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to get notified when a new episode is released. As always, this podcast is hosted by Michael Holmes and Landon Campbell. And on today's episode, we have a very special guest. We are interviewing Beto O'Rourke. Everybody knows Beto O'Rourke for his time as a former U.S. representative or his 2020 presidential campaign to be the Democratic nominee for president. However, today we asked Beto what he did in his 20s, which included being in a band or being a mover that has allowed him to have such an amazing political career. So let's go ahead and jump right in to what Beto was doing in his 20s. All right. Is this working? Beto, hello. Yeah. How are you? Hey, sorry I'm late. <laughs> We're okay. How's your uh, day going? It's really good. It's really good. We are, uh, we just did a little bit of a trip to New Mexico and Colorado to do some camping and, um, you know, be up in the mountains, swim in some lakes. Um, just this big road trip with the family. And we just got back, um, was it yesterday? Yesterday maybe, or the day before? I can't remember. Um, nice. But we just got back. So we're like, you know, it's just balls out, you know, as hard as we can trying to catch up with, with everything that's going on. And it's great. There's a, there's a ton of work to do. So um, I'm really happy about that. But um, very interested to, to join you for this um, for this interview and I, you know, read the backup and, and I love the concept. And so very happy to help in any way that you think I can, I can be of assistance. I appreciate that. And like, you know, from the bottom of our hearts, Michael and I just thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Um, you know, we created this web series in their twenties because of the 2020 pandemic. A lot of our you know, friends, classmates, peers were, you know, confused with a lot of questions on what they need to be doing right now in their lives. 20s is such an interesting time to try and figure it out. So Michael and I, um, you know, found the solution to that and really feel that by interviewing, you know, influential people uh, to give them a platform to reflect on, you know, their 20s, what they were able to do and create for themselves. Uh, that would just really give people in their 20s now the tools they need to succeed. So it's a mix of like, you know, giving the important advice and then also the inspirational content. So, you know, we really are having a lot of fun doing this and, uh, you know, we are again fortunate to be able to speak with people like you. I mean, this is amazing. And I know uh, everybody that watches is really gonna appreciate this as well. Um, love that you are beyond what you all are doing in your day job and in your you know, careers apart from this, that you're also finding a way during this quarantine or you know, however we're spending this pandemic, finding a way to still connect with people even if we can't physically be present and share something that's, that's valuable to others. So thanks for doing this. Thank you. So, um, and also Michael's in Florida right now. So we're um, all in like some pretty interesting places right now. I'm in Chicago and uh, yeah, this is uh, really cool. That's Same great. Yeah. That's great. I noticed it looks very green behind you, Michael. Yes. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I ended up uh, visiting my, my mom this week and she's down in Florida, so. <laughs> Good. Well, we're, we're, we've got the country covered, Chicago, El Paso, and Florida. We yep. did all around. <laughs> we're doing it right. <laughs> Um, so, Beto, we can start with the first question. Um, if you could tell us about a defining moment in your 20s. Well, um, that's a big decade, right? Um, 
So I, I had graduated college at Columbia in New York um, and had chosen to live there for the indeterminate future. I just, you know, growing up in El Paso, Texas, actually, um, as beautiful and extraordinary um, and absolutely unique as it is. There's no other place like this where two countries come together in, and form one community, or you're in the Chihuahuan Desert, or you're at the foot of the Rocky Mountains. Visually, um, you know, uh, culturally, um, binationally, I mean, in, by, by any way you look at it, measure it, or see it, um, I, I was, I won the lottery by, by being born and, and raised in El Paso. And yet, perhaps not unlike too many other young people, I just could not wait to leave once I had the chance. And I wanted to be what, what I thought was the center of the universe, which is New York City. I went to school at Columbia, uh, worked really hard, um, you know, studied, um, you know, passed all my classes, graduated in four years, um, was a varsity athlete for two of those years on the Columbia crew team. And, um, you know, played in a band, um, played shows around the city, um, you know, discovered uh, girls, you know, really for the first time in, in my life, you know, probably had my first date in, in college, uh, drank my first beer in college. So, you know, a lot of life is, is opening up to me. And then post-college moved to, to Brooklyn. This was in 1995. And, you know, uh, working odd jobs, playing music, uh, which I thought was going to be my career, at least that was the passion that I wanted to pursue. And I was there three years after college and I just had this uh, epiphany, for lack of a better word, one day uh, riding the subway. I had about an hour long, two different train commute to my job up in the Bronx at the H.W. Wilson Company. And it was, it was summer, I was sweating, I was pressed up against the glass in a crowded subway car and I just had this vision of being back in El Paso, Texas, and you know, being in a truck with the windows rolled down and having some personal space and some freedom and being in the desert or backpacking in the woods in the Gila Forest in New Mexico, just getting the fuck out of New York was really what, what, what came to mind. And, um, and kind of you know, from that subway ride at that moment, um, I, I made the decision to come back home. And so that's, that's a decision and a moment that stands out to me because it turns out to have been the best decision I, I ever made. I, I came back and saw my hometown with new eyes and realized how lucky I had been and this embarrassment of riches, again, culturally or geographically um, or, or any way that I could appreciate. Uh, I was so lucky to have come from El Paso. Now I got to return and got to be with my parents, my my dad would die a few years afterwards, and you know, unbeknownst to either of us, he you know he, he would die in an accident. But got to spend some some years with him. Um, you know, got to see other family members who would who would pass away before long, um, and you know, got to connect with them in in a way that was very meaningful and and has stayed with me. And then I you know I had this great fortune of being able to start a business here uh, in my twenties. Uh, you know, started a, a small technology business and an online newspaper. This was in 1998 here in El Paso. Uh, ran for and won uh, an office uh, on the El Paso City Council. Um, met my wife, et cetera, et cetera. All that flowed from that decision. Um, so felt, uh, you know, very fortunate to have been able to go to Columbia, to have lived in New York for a few years, to have met wonderful people there. But making this decision to come back home in my 20s 
set me up for so much of the success that I've had in my life, most importantly with my family. So that's amazing that you know you were able to make that decision in your 20s. Yes, you know, you got away. I went to New York for a little bit, got to experience that, uh, only to really understand that, no, like El Paso is where you need to be. So I love that story. That was beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah. No, very, very uh, fortuitous decision. And, you know, New York, uh, like Chicago, where you are, is one of these magical places on planet Earth where people come together from all over the world. And the level of talent and accomplishment um, and performance and whatever it is someone's doing is um, unparalleled, right? And there's something very exhilarating about being there and, and getting to be a part of it, or at least witnessing all of that. Um, but, but, you know, to know who you are and maybe to also know who you are not um, mm -hmm. is, is, a, is a real gift. And, and I had that epiphany on the subway. I, I am not a New Yorker. I love this place. I've, I've had a great eight years in New York. Um, but I'm a Texan and I'm an El Pasoan and I want to be back there where, where I belong and where I'm from and where I can give the most back. So, no, that was, that was a really good decision. And based on all those positions you had throughout your 20s, you talked about your passion about being in a band. What would you say was the most interesting or unique job that you had in your 20s? Oh, I had so many of them. Um, you know, in college, you know, from 18 to 22, uh, I worked every year. I was in college, work study jobs and then odd jobs outside of college. Um, and, you know, uh, from window washer to deliver the Sunday New York Times to the dorms at, at Barnard College um, to security guard at, at Columbia University. But after I graduated, um, my uncle, this, this is 1995. So imagine, um, you know, the internet revolution is really beginning to turn. And um, there are all these opportunities for entrepreneurs. And my uncle, who lived in Soho, um, down on Franklin Street, Tribeca actually, was one of those entrepreneurs and was able to raise some money and start an internet-based an internet business. And he hired me. Um, and so I had an in through family. And I was installing ISDN cables, so pre-Wi-Fi. Um, you know, everything that was connected to the internet was hardwired in and uh, I would, you know, go to businesses, install their ISDN systems, the modems and the cables to their computers. I would design web pages. I would learn, you know, rudimentary programming, HTML and PHP. And then at the same time, I also got a job working for a high-end art, furniture and antique handling and moving company called Headley's Humpers on Prince Street. And humping is a Britishism for moving. At least I understand. It means something different uh, for, for different people, especially in the U.S. But I was a Headley's humper. And that meant um, delivering these beautiful artifacts to wealthy people, you know, all around the greater metro New York area. So I'd be in a box truck with a driver, uh, or sometimes I was a driver. And we'd be delivering, I mean, in some cases, Picasso's extraordinary sculptures, beautiful antique furniture, stuff that I could never afford, will never afford, but that I got to appreciate as a 23, 24 year old, you know, $10 an hour, or maybe it was less, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, employee. Um, and that was really, I mean, all, all the, the people that I met on the job, uh, all their different backgrounds, all the, all the beautiful homes that I got to go into and see, being at the warehouse, 
um, working with the, the crate makers, uh, including Dave Ford, who ended up becoming a, a really good friend and actually lives in Evanston, uh, not too far from where you are uh, right now. Um, you know, I, I then, that my last job, the one that I was on the train to in the Bronx when I had my epiphany about coming back to Texas, was at the H.W. Wilson Company, um, which was back then uh, located at the Yankee Stadium stop. Mm -hmm. And I worked as a proofreader uh, there, which meant that I was just reading copy all day long and making sure it matched up with the final draft of whatever uh, copy I was reading. And uh, you got to work early, like at seven, and I think you got out at four. And on days when the Yankees were playing home games, um, very often they'd, they'd let you out even earlier to, to be able to go see a, a, a Yankees game. So that was also a really interesting, you know, uh, job where all I was doing all day was was reading. And, and really you're reading for um, parody. You want to make sure that what you're reading matches the final copy, but you can't help but pick up the stuff that you're reading in these various journals about psychology or anthropology or you know a million different subjects or, or things so all, all of those were really interesting jobs uh, for me but none of them became a career none of them was in any deep way fulfilling all of them helped to pay the bills so that I could live um, and play music and feed myself and and do the things that I wanted to do as a young man in in New York but all of them gave me some of the background I would need to pursue other things that did end up becoming my career, whether it was as an entrepreneur myself, uh, starting a technology company, not too unlike the one that my uncle started, or being involved in politics and, um, and working with people in, in, in that field. Um, so they, they, were all, they were all interesting jobs. Um, none of them though uh, became a job that I, that I wanted to stay at or devote my life to. Yeah, I like, I like how you said that these might not necessarily be a job that you plan to stay at or, you know, it, at that time in your 20s, it could have just been a job that you needed money to put food on the table or pay your rent. But I like how you showed that even though this might have been not your dream job, you still pulled some skills away from it that mm -hmm. could be useful. So what, in your opinion, what were some of the most important skills that you acquired in your 20s? And are you still using these skills today? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I've got to, I've got to think way back, right? Because I'm, <laughs> I'm uh, almost 48 now. So what, what was it that I picked up in, in my twenties? Well, I mean, certainly, um, it was one thing to work while I was in college, which, which was tough, right? To balance your job, your schoolwork. And for two years, I was a varsity athlete where you had two a day practices. And I got to tell you, I, th those were the the two most exhausting years of my life, almost bar none, with the exception of some of the things that we've done recently and some of the campaigns that we've run. But um, that, that certainly, I think, helped to develop a, you know, a work ethic and a sense of, of discipline where, um, you know, as you get older and into your 20s, your, your mom's not there to, to wake you up or remind you that you got to go to work or to, uh, you know, tell you what the consequences are going to be if, if you don't. Um, there, there are people depending on you and, um, and, and you got to show up and you got to be there and you got to deliver, even if it's not your dream job, even if, if this isn't the thing that you're most excited for in the world, even if you don't wake up, you know, um, just, you know, 
can't wait to get down to work. You're like, shit, I don't really want to go to work. But you know what? You got to go to work and, and you got to build that reputation that people can depend on you and that you're going to deliver and that you're going to follow through. And I think that's one thing independent of any given discipline or, or job or career path is the reputation that you are able to build um, through the work that you put in. And, and that carries through across whatever you do next, whatever city you happen to be in, whatever career path you jump over to from the one that, that you just left. If your reputation is such that um, this guy or this gal can be depended upon, they're, they're innovative, they're the first to show up, they're the last to leave, they will, they will go through a wall for you to get the job done, then it does not matter um, you know, what that next job is. You want that person on your team. And I'll tell you, maybe, Michael, another way to answer this question is as an employer, so as a, a job creator, when, when we started our, our businesses in the late 90s here in El Paso and then grew them, uh, and over the years, you know, hired dozens upon dozens of, of people or as a member of Congress, you know, with a, with a large office or in the U.S. Senate campaign, I probably had more than a thousand employees um, across all of those different opportunities that I had to build teams. I wasn't always looking for the person who was necessarily uh, super proficient in, in the job at hand. I just wanted somebody who was going to work their heart out, who was going to be really smart and thoughtful about how they approach the job, who was going to be respectful of, of others around them, and yes, who was, who was ambitious. And I, I think those are all traits that you know, I, in some way or other, discovered along the way and then sought out in, in the people that I wanted to surround myself with. You know? uh, and so I, I, think that's, I think that's the way that I'd answer the question. I, I just learned the value of, um, of, of hard work and those who work hard. And I always wanted them on my team. Whatever, whatever I was doing, um, you, you want those folks on your team. Yeah, I, I totally agree. If you're working at a job, it may not necessarily be your dream job, but if you put in your hardest work, maybe your manager you know, gives you that recommendation you need to get your dream job. So if you're putting in the hard work, people will notice. That's right. Absolutely. So we heard about some of the passions that you had in your 20s, uh, sports, music, all really exciting we want to understand how can you balance uh, professional life with the many passions uh, that you can have? Um, is there a balance or is it more of a harmony? I tell you what, um, you know, th thinking about my twenties when I was not married and when I didn't have kids and we now we're so lucky we have three kids and they're, 13, 12, and, and nine years old, and they're the center of our lives um, in, in a very positive way for which I am very grateful. But they're also the center of your lives to the exclusion of other things that you could do in your life. So I love music, I love playing music. I'm not saying I'm, I'm good at it or that I ever was good at it, but that doesn't matter, that's besides the point. I loved playing, I loved being in a band, and I loved the connection I made with the friends with whom I played music. There's something that transcends mm -hmm. human language and the typical ways that we communicate when you're making music with somebody. Maybe the same is true for high performance athletes who are on a team together or people who dance or, but for me, it's, it was music. And it is, it's very hard 
to do that now, right? And just logistically, how in the hell are you and these other folks who also have kids and careers and maybe don't even live in the same city anymore, how are you going to get together and play? Not that it can't be done. It's just really hard to do that now. So, so my advice to my 25-year-old self is, well, shit, if you, if you are free of these responsibilities and this level of accountability, which again is a gift and I'm grateful for and I wouldn't trade it for the world, but there was a time when I didn't have it. Um, and, and you do have the opportunity to pursue that passion or to take that trip or to, to work that job that, that maybe doesn't fit the career path that you laid out for yourself, but it's interesting to you and you wanna give it a shot, by all means do it. There are no penalties that I've been able to ascertain in my life or the lives of others that I've known for taking chances and, and risks when, when you're young. And obviously there are stupid risks. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, then, and then there are risks that somehow correspond with your passion. And you're gonna get to an age where, where you're just not gonna take those risks because you're, you're too ensconced in um, a scene or a career or a, a way of life and it would just, you think, well, it'd be too ridiculous for me to do this, or how in the world could I just up and go and do this thing? Well, when, when you're in your 20s, and again, not everybody in their 20s is, was in the same place that I was. You may be married, you may be a, a surgeon, you, you may be uh, you know, in the Air Force, you, you may have a really important mission and job and set of responsibilities that prevents you from doing that. But if you don't, um, I, I've seen so many people squander the opportunity to take risks and chances and to do something that may turn out to be dumb as shit, but you, you, you did it, you got it out of your system because they felt like they had to be on this track. They were on this track in high school, they were on this track in college, and by God, they're gonna stay on this track and get ahead. And, and there's, there's the, the risk of burnout and there's the risk that you deny yourself this chance to, to try these things that uh, you really won't get a chance to do later in life. So. To long answer your question, Michael, Michael Landon, the, the balance is much easier to strike if there is such a thing as balance when you are younger and, and a little freer. Uh, when you get to where I am in life, uh, closing in on 50 years old, um, you know, the, the, the options constrain. And that's just, mm -hmm. part of, that's just part of life. So, I mean, blow it out when you, when you got the chance. And, and again, don't be dumb about it. Don't do anything that would... Uh, you know, foreclose other meaningful options for you. But, um, you know, in my case, playing in a band, um, working different jobs in, in different disciplines, um, you know, you might conventionally have thought that's not a recipe for success. Uh, and I'm sure it caused my parents some level of consternation because they had also taken out loans uh, to help me go to college in addition to student loans I took out. Um, but, shit works out. Uh, it, it, it really does. Um, as long as you keep that focus on those things that we talked about earlier that you want to distinguish yourself by, the, the discipline, the hard work, the, the thoughtfulness that you bring to a job, and the respect that you show others. I, I, I think things work out. I love that. I mean, experience is the best teacher. Um, you know, Michael and I, we had many different jobs while in college, and, you know, we still had um, our school, but I mean, you know, we got involved in things that, you know, related to the industry we were working in and then also you know tried to test our limits and try and get involved um, in other things as well and we really you know learned a lot from that it's important to take risks in your 20s um, get out there 
jump in the deep end, try something new. Um, because I love what you said. I mean, you know, the twenties, you have more time to do that. So um, absolutely trying to, yeah. And, and know as many people as you can, right? Like, again, when, when, you know, I don't know if you all have kids, but if, if you don't, when you do, um, your, your world also, your social world constrains to other families who have kids, your kids, same age, which is a great thing. Cause the kids, you know, get along with each other. You get along with the parents cause you're having the same, uh, situations, but, but your, your circle of contact, um, you know, closes tighter and, and tighter. And that's just the way of things. And, the risk is if you start doing that too soon and don't expose yourself to enough different views and perspectives and life experiences, then, then I think you become a very narrow person and you have a harder time, um, you know, figuring out how to get along with the rest of the world. Um, I, I, I'm, I, I'm sounding like an old man now. I didn't, I didn't know that was going to happen in this interview where I'm like giving all this advice. To, to, it's wisdom. This is great. Yeah, well, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. No, we love it. Just um, count this stuff. <laughs> we, have a, we have one final question for you. Um, we want to hear your best advice for young people interested in getting involved in politics, public service. How can they get involved? What should they be doing right now? And how can they make a difference? Yeah. Well, th the good news is there, there has never been, and I mean never been, a better time to get involved because literally you could save the world. I, I think that when the histories are written of the year 2020 and be they written 50 years from now or 500 years from now, mm -hmm. this, this will be seen as a very defining, very decisive moment for the United States for sure, but for civilization given the outsized role the United States plays in, in the world today and, and has for the last 70 years and could for the next you know, 700 years, depending on, on what we do. Um, we also have the chance to potentially lose it and, and lose it all and, and lose it big. So there's never been more on the line. And in a democracy, which, which we still are, um, although I think there are some legitimate questions about how much longer we will be one and to what degree we are, but, but we are. It's government of, by, and for the people. There are no sidelines. And, and there's no taking a pass, and there's no sitting this out. You're, you're in the game. If you live in this country, you are in the game. And even if you decide not to participate and not to vote, that's a decision that you've made in this game. And, and it's one that will hurt all of us and, and certainly hurt you. So there's that. But, but the upside and the exciting part is, um, I mean, this is the stuff that legends are made of, right? I mean, when, when the chips were down, when the stakes could not have been any higher, where were you and what did you do? And, and how did you decide you were going to make a difference? You know, did you run for office? Did you volunteer on a campaign? Did you register your friends to vote? Um, did you speak up and confront those in positions of power already and challenge them on why things are the way they are right now to try to force them to make them better in whatever issue moves you, be it climate or criminal justice or healthcare or whatever. Um, th there are a million things that might move you, whatever that is, your willingness to stand up and, and literally confront those who hold these positions of power and public trust and privilege, man, that's a powerful thing. And, and it is the exception and not the rule in world history. In most countries, most civilizations, it, it is strictly top down and, and uh, you don't have the chance as an average citizen to make a difference. You still can in the United States. I, I really believe that. So um, 
if you want to get involved, I'll tell you, uh, uh, from my experience, volunteering and working on campaigns um, and then being a candidate and running campaigns, um, the, the same fundamental rules of being successful in life apply. You know, I cannot tell you how many times I hired the woman or the man who, when I was getting to my office at 7.30 in the morning, when I was in Congress and I was working in the Capitol, would be waiting at my door and would introduce themselves and say, hey, you know, my name is uh, Jessica and uh, I'm from Texas and I, I like the work that you're doing and I wanna have a shot to work in your office. Well, what can you do, Jessica? Well, I don't know, I'm, I'm willing to do anything. I, I'll, uh, you know, if you want me to type letters or, or address envelopes or, you know, um, you know, do research, I, what you just put me to work and I will do it. Um, and, and there are so many times where that was the only connection I had to somebody was their very obvious desire to perform at a high level and to do whatever it took to be successful and by extension to make me and my office and the community that I represented here in El Paso successful. And I, I wanted that person on my team. Um, and, and so by that same token, you know, if, if there's a campaign, a, a candidate that you're excited about, show up at their office before they open, be there when the campaign manager turns the key, introduce yourself, offer to make coffee or whatever the hell they need that day. And then, and then just make sure that they can't get rid of you. you. Just keep showing up and make yourself indispensable. And soon enough, you, you will be hired. You will start moving up. They will know that they can rely on you. And um, I think especially in campaigns, which are such uh, massive efforts um, that are expended over such a short period of time. People are looking for talent and they make decisions based on merit and, um, and, and your drive and your discipline are rewarded. Um, that's been my experience at least. I mean, show up, get, get after. What, what's the worst that can happen is they tell you to go home and then you don't want to be behind that person anyhow to begin with. So um, there, there, there are, um, millions of our fellow Americans who are yet unregistered to vote and have the chance uh, to, to be registered and to help decide the most important election of our lives, find a way to register them. Ask everyone, I mean, th this is simple stuff you can do on your own. Ask everyone in your contact list if they're registered to vote and if they're not, help get them registered to vote. Uh, in your own words, share the stakes of this election and why you are so moved and so passionate to, to get involved, to vote, and, and to help decide the outcome. And, and, that, and that becomes infectious with your friends, your classmates, your colleagues. Um, that's, what I, that's what I have found. Um, but you know, last thought, I, I, though we're at a moment of maximum peril in this country, um, I've really never been so optimistic because there are so many young people who are getting after it and they're not waiting for direction or guidance or permission. They're just going to do it. And, and they can care less whether what I think about it, which is great. That's the way it should be. Or anyone who, who is, you know, in a position of, of power or in office already, they're, they're just going to get after it and do it. And that's very promising and, and is cause for optimism and, and hope for, for our country. So um, I really have no fear that, that the young people, that you know and that you're bringing this programming to, uh, I have no fear that they're not, they're not already after it and they're not already making this change that, that we all want to see. I mean, you know, as young people, we are the future. We're up next and we all have a unique role to play in this as well uh, to get involved. And when it comes to involvement, uh, 
you're really saying you just got to be fearless. You got to you know, knock on someone's door. And if you're sending, you know, emails to people, I mean, don't be afraid of rejection. You know, try again. Um, I think, you know, you literally only live once. And now is the opportunity and time to really try and grab everything you can and get involved. So I love that. Thank you. Absolutely. And, and listen, for um, anyone who you know, doesn't have a candidate or a campaign mm -hmm. or, or a way in that's obvious to them, uh, we started this organization called Powered by People here mm -hmm. in Texas. We are literally calling person to person, human to human, American to American, every Texan who's registered to vote who is likely a Democrat. <laughs> and, um, and those aren't easy phone calls, right? I mean, you're going to get people who, who don't want you to call, who are going to hang up on you, who say that you got the wrong number, who tell you they're voting for Donald Trump. And then there are some really transcendent, magical calls where you reach somebody who's a Biden supporter, who needs to know that their vote is important, who's glad that you reached out to them. And at the end of the call with them, you know that you've made a difference and that that's a vote that's going to take place, otherwise might not have. Join us at Powered by People. Call the folks in, in the biggest swing state in the country that will decide the outcome of this election. Well, thank you for including that. And uh, we'll make sure to include information about that as well in the description. Appreciate it. But yeah, no, sounds amazing. Uh, Michael, did you have any additional questions for uh, Beto as well? Uh, no additional questions, uh, Beto. Uh, thank you so much for being on with us today. Yes. I really can't stress how thankful I am for you taking time <laughs> out of your busy schedule for us. Uh, I know our viewers, especially because we have not spoken to someone in public service yet, I think they're going to gain a lot from this. I think you, know, just, you telling them to really get out there. It's your 20s. This is when you have the most time. Uh, we talked about that multiple times today, you know, that now's the time to get out there and try your best and take risks that you really can't later in life when you have other responsibilities. Absolutely. I, I, I think you said it better than I did. I think that's the, that's the spirit with which you need to approach this moment, especially given what's going on in this country. You, you don't want to, after all is said and done, you don't want to look back and wish you had uh, because, you, because you didn't. Uh, just, just go out there and do it now. And thank you so much for the energy you brought. I mean, the amazing advice, inspiration. I mean, that's really everything rooted within our mission and what we're trying to build here. So, Beto, I mean, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Really, really appreciate this. It's an honor to be on with you all. And, and likewise, I think there's just uh, some really powerful, beautiful energy in what you both are doing and what you're bringing to other people. And so I feel very lucky to have been asked to be a part of this. So thank you. And hopefully when all this is over, uh, you all take a trip to El Paso and we get to host you and welcome you here. And um, <laughs> that'd be amazing. Uh, and, but until then, be safe and stay healthy. Will do. Enjoy the rest of your right. evening. And thank you so much. I appreciate it. Adios. Thank bye bye. You, thank you for listening to the In Their 20s podcast. For a full video version, please visit our YouTube channel and make sure to subscribe. And for more information about Beto O'Rourke, please visit our website at inthair20s.com.